Welcome to episode two of the Flag Stays Down podcast. Tonight we have myself, Andy, uh, as well as Parker, and making his debut, Matt. How you doing? Living the dream one nightmare at a time. Welcome, welcome to your first pod. I know, I'm excited. Listened, uh, listened to the first one as soon as it was available. Big fan. I would highly recommend to anybody else. Definitely take take a listen to it. Although I will say, and I'm sure this time will come, did catch a lot of flack about Jorginho. Oh yeah, we're we're definitely going to touch on that today. <laughs> <laughs> well, boys, you got uh, got any drinks we're working on? Or well, of course. I- I do not, but I just came from a dinner where I had uh, quite a few before dinner, some wine at dinner, and then a couple after drink dinners, after dinner drinks. So uh, nothing with me right now. Nice. How about you, Matt? Yes, um, I, I, I do have um, a nice, nice little uh, bourbon with me right now. So uh, if if for whatever reason you don't hear from me for a minute during the pod, you know I'm probably refilling. Technical difficulties. Yes. That's yeah, yeah. all good. Alex, <laughs> what about you? What you got? Well, I just had a trip down to Evansville, Indiana this week. So, you know, right on the border with uh, Kentucky. So I had to pick up some bourbon. So I got some uh, Cardinal Spirits single malt bourbon. Sweet. Yeah, not, not too bad. Extra, extra smoky. All right. Well, well today's a, today's a good day, gentlemen. We're coming off of a nice little win, a uh, good old three nothing win over Villa. So, uh, lovely home stand for for Big Rom. Uh, got himself on the score sheet not once but twice. And uh, how do we feel about the game? Let's get right into it. Well, I think uh, first half first half was rough, and uh, you know I was I was tooting the the Saul horn all week <laughs> that uh, kind of blew up in my face there. So I, it, it was rough, but I, I unfortunately blame it primarily on Saul. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it was, it was a very classic Chelsea. And by that, I mean, kind of what we've seen over the last, you know, year and a half, two years, it's a tale of two halves. Um, Obviously, the the first half we know was less than stellar, um, especially against a team like Villa, where you kind of expect to dominate possession. But, I mean, they came out aggressive. They came out very aggressive. They were high press. Um, They went right after Saul. Like, they went at him hard, and I I think it was the right game plan. Um, You have somebody somebody who just came in late, um, and – you know, he's in a brand new league. So, of course, you're going to go after him. And I think they expose that very early on. Um, it, it, it's it's a much faster tempo um, than than La Liga. And I think that, you know, it, it, it's going to take him it's going to take him some time to, to get used to it. And, 
you know, this first game shouldn't, shouldn't be a reflection of him and his talent or anything like that. It was just not the debut that, that we were all hoping for. Yeah, new league, uh, new team, and not a ton of time to train with him. Matt, I think you hit on all the right points. So he uh, he's just going to need some time to, to get used to the boys, get used to the system, get used to how they how Chelsea plays, and and then the speed of the league is it's just a just a touch uh, faster, and you have just a a few less touches on the ball before you got to get rid of it. So uh, I, I like to see him played. Uh, I think that's it's a good sign. But uh, yeah, it's just going to be a, a little bit of a development into the league. So outside of Saul's poor debut, what uh, what are what are your top thoughts from from the game? Sure, I'll take it first. Uh, for me, it was uh, it was one of those uh, halves where I think all of us were a little bit frustrated with with how we played, and yet we're still up one nothing, which I feel like we I think we would be kind of having the same mentality. And to have it when we're up, it's a little different, but it's uh, it's a good thing that we're we're, we're not we don't want to settle as fans. We don't want to settle for just being up against a team. We want them to play well. We want them to look well and feel, feel really good. And, and while we're watching it. And so I, uh, I think that's good from, from a fan perspective. And then the second half I thought felt a lot more clean and a lot better from how we played, how we controlled possession and, and how we got two goals. I mean, the, the Kovacic goal was, was great. And uh, uh, just take advantage of a great situation, but Kovacic was the engine tonight. I think he, he played really, really phenomenal uh, all around, and uh, he really controlled a lot of what we did uh, on that day. So, tip the cap to him. That was sort of my uh, – he was my player of the – man of the match, and, and uh, I really liked how he did, how he controlled stuff. So, uh, I, I, overall, very happy with the three points and uh, 3 nothing win. So, that's, that's my take. Yeah, I think I, for me, the – obviously, the – the play of Mendy was phenomenal. Um, you know, after, you know, we can go back to the stuff with Reese James at Liverpool. Um, again, I think, you know, there was, there was an error on that. I think Mendy should have just come out and cleaned that ball over Alonzo. If he has to take him out, he has to take him out. But I, I think we're seeing more of that confidence that he has in himself to, to really, you know, be between the posts. He, he's starting to control that space a lot more. And I, I want to say, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I want to say he had six or seven saves. That double save that he had was, was superb. Um, I really think he's, he's coming into his own. Um, again, he's still pretty young um, and he's definitely, um, definitely a big asset for us. The, the thing that stood out to me, which it was kind of more after the match, kind of how I thought about it. Callum Hudson adore. He's he's in a position that he's not really used to with that right wing back. He's being relied on to play more of a defensive role. And the the thing that I liked after kind of analyzing everything was you can run him you can run him in that that right wing back spot for you know 60 minutes. And then you could switch out like Reese or Dave to solidify that defense and then have him push up. Um, I, I think that's a very unique skill set. And I think you know, with obviously aging and things like that, Reese obviously being out for the suspension, 
you know, that's, that's one of those things where it's kind of like an intangible, like you, you can't necessarily expect everybody to do that. Like you wouldn't expect um, like Zeke or, or Havertz to really do a lot of that stuff. But with Callum Hudson and like you can expect that. So if you do have big matches coming up as we're approaching champions league, you can utilize that. And if you need somebody who may not be your, your one or two or, or something like that, you have a third that can fill in, help save some legs, and can play different positions along that that right-hand side. And I thought overall he did a great job, especially on the defensive side, tracking back, being able to get forward. I, I was I was very pleased with his performance this weekend. And Parker, I know you and I had spoken uh, about Hudson and Doyle last weekend. Does does this match change our opinions at all? I think we both said, man, that the boy's got talent and he's got a lot of it. We didn't know exactly how he fits into the team. And I think some of that's still true because uh, I don't think his best role is a defensive, uh, you know, that holding defensive uh, wing back. Uh, I don't think that's where he's best utilized. Uh, it's intriguing to me, someone who can play down, down both sides uh, or then play back up when, if we sub in a defender late on, uh, I think that's super intriguing, but uh, I guess my answer is I, I'm not sure, man. I, I, I really, I thought he was very positive. I thought he did a really good job and he was one of the, the more positive players in the match for me. I thought he was a little bit more impactful than like a Kai Havertz was in the match. So uh, I really liked what he brought to the table and I thought he did a good job, especially considering we, we did not have a Reese James in the match. So. Yeah. The, with the slim amount of possession, I shouldn't say slim, I believe it was about 50% in the first half, but with with the possession not being uh, an overbearing amount, I, I thought Cho played well, um, but every time he would flash into the box, every time he would you know go down that wing, I saw miscommunications, whether with Ziyech, whether with uh, Chalaba at the back, um, you know, I, I still think, and it's hard to remember, it's hard to uh, recall that sometimes he's only 20 years old. I, I think he needs more time to develop. I'm still not 100% sold on him. Uh, but I think it, the more he buys into Tuchel's system, the more he buys into, you know, tracking back, that pressing defense, the better I think he, he can become. I just think it's a matter of will on his part, whether he's willing to, to submit to Tuchel, so to speak, or, uh, you know, whether he wants to go do his own thing at Bayern or, or wherever that may be. But, uh, you know, speaking about those miscommunications, I don't know how much we're going to get out of this, but uh, it was in my notes about four or five times during the match, so I figured I'd bring it up here. Uh, Chalaba. You know, you typically you, you'll see a defender kind of dictating the dictating to a holding mid to a winger where to send a ball. I saw Chalaba do that about four times, and never did the ball go where he requested. <laughs> it was Thiago Silva. It, um, you know, it was Saul uh, Ziek. They all sent it different ways. They, am I reading too much into it? 
Um, Whose fault do you think that is? I, honestly, I, I don't. I don't really know. Uh, do you think that's on him, or do you think that's on some of his teammates? That's what I was trying to. That's what I was trying to decipher was whether he was making bad choices in that, or if his teammates just don't trust him enough. I understand Saul, and that, you know those two have played together for a week and a half. Uh, but you know, Thiago Silva's been there the whole time. Ziyech has been there. Um, so what, what do you guys think? Is it, am I reading too much into that or, uh, you know, is, is there something there? Go ahead, Matt. I, so if you look at it, so if we're kind of focused on the, the right-hand side, right? So you're talking about Ziek, Cho, Saul, Chalaba, and then obviously Tiago as, as his counterpart in the middle. Those are all guys who are relatively new to the club. You know, Saul just came in. Chalba, he's getting first team playing right now. Cho is normally not your right back. Ziek, he's still, I, I think Ziek is still kind of finding his own um, as far as like, you know, he had that injury early on the season. He's not getting a ton of minutes. Granted, it is early in the season, so I get that. But, I, I think you need, I think you need somebody a little bit more, a little bit more experienced to kind of help with the the team dynamic of it. So maybe if you put if you were to flip like Kovacic and then Saul, you might have a little bit more of you know what everybody's trying to do. You might have that a little bit a little bit more grounded. I, I think that right side it, to me it seemed like a lot of players who have never played against each other and were not sure how to operate together. Um, that's kind of my look at it. And, you know, if not to blame, but if we were to look at it, I would say, you know, props to, props to Tucho for trotting him out there. But at the same time, he had to have known that was going to be a weak spot with, with that many different variables. The only thing I'll add is props to Villa for applying a high press. Uh, I thought they were fairly successful, especially in the first half, uh, pressuring our guys and, and making us play out of the back. And, and they, they, they put a lot of pressure on us. They definitely uh, did their job successfully and uh, a high press with a lot of pressure, plus whatever, what Matt just said, in, in a team that's not completely gelled. We're not in mid-season form and, and – and Chalaba is new to this squad. He's figuring out himself. He's figuring out this team still. And, and he hasn't played 15, 20 matches with these guys yet. So uh, there's a lot of variables in there and a, a lot of moving parts. Uh, I, I, think, I think he's solid. Uh, I know he didn't play his best match, but I, I think he's, he's very solid. And I did still see some uh, good marks from him in the match. So um, I think that comes with time. I think that comes with with jelling over time. Absolutely, and, you know, something to something to watch going forward. Um, yeah, you know, Ollie Watkins did get the beat on him more than once uh, in the match, but you know, clean sheet kind of speaks for itself there. So, uh, props to to Chalaba. So Ollie Watkins it, is going to get the best of a lot of people this year. He he played well. Uh, he, 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 those boys ran at us and they, they did well. So I give Villa a lot of credit. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we spent the first 15 minutes here kind of 
dissecting Chelsea, kind of bringing out um, some criticisms. There's a lot, a lot of positives. But you had Luca Ku, first goal at Stanford Bridge in 13 years. Uh, you had Kovacic, first goal at Stanford Bridge in 70 plus appearances. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, of course, you had your boy uh, Jorginho, little George, turning the tide. Where, where, where would you guys like to start with that? Uh, let's start with Jorginho. Uh, because it's been it's been the fun discussion of, of this podcast so far, uh, where some of us disagree, and I think some of that's fun. You had the three of us agree on a lot of things when we look at these matches, and I feel like we don't have too much of a differing opinion. But uh, but but little George, as he's aptly referred to, uh, I think he made a really big difference in this game. He came in uh, for Saul at halftime, and instantly I felt calmer, and I felt like the team felt calmer, and. Uh, Special players can do that, right? Where they they just sort of bring this essence to the and a little bit of swagger. Uh, when they they get one touch, they move the ball, they swing it around, and uh, and I thought we just we we settled into the we settled into the match a lot more in the second half, just in general. But I thought he had a uh, a lot to do with that. Collins, well, I'll, I'll let you go before I give mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, again, I was really looking forward to Sal's debut. Um, I was in the back of my mind hoping that Jorginho would struggle just as much as Sal did uh, with the, the press. But like you said, Parker, he, he stabilized things. Um, I tried to look up the numbers because I didn't keep track as you know the, the match was going on. But um, the amount of possession we had 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 to have increased. You know, maybe ten percent, half to half. And that, that's, that's kind of the one variable there is who did you have alongside Kova? You know, maybe Seoul isn't the best fit next to Kova. Maybe Jorginho is a good fit. Or maybe Jorginho is just better. Is just a Bologna or player, UEFA player of the year, difference maker. <laughs> and on that note, I will turn it back to <laughs> All right, let, let, let's start with just the Villa game. Um, I think with a player like Kova, he needs to be able to run. He like You can't keep him on a leash, and I think that's what happened. I think that he saw that Saul was struggling, and that limited him and what he could do, especially with the amount of takeaways that Saul gave up. Like It, it, it almost force Kova to have to sit back further and he is a very as defensive as he is he is also very attack minded he can blow past people in the midfield and he can also create once he starts getting into that you know the 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 final like half of the pitch like he can do a lot of those things but when you see somebody like Saul struggling at that point then that kind of limits him in in the creativity that that he can bring and just kind of opening things up for for you know, um, for Rom, for Ziyech, for Havertz, for Mount Pulisic, whoever's on, um, I think Jorginho does bring that calming presence. Where you know he's going to be the distributor. I felt that with Saul's struggles, Kova almost had to play that part, and that's 
I wouldn't say that's like a weakness in his game, but that's not really his forte. Um, he is a very straight up box to box. Um, he, he likes to run. He likes to just do his own thing and just kind of run around and start creating for people and just, just get the ball back at all costs. And, you know, we, we saw that with, with the effort that he had in that, in that goal from that back pass from uh, Tyrone Mings. Um, I, I think that the partnership didn't work. And granted, you can put that on Saul not having enough time with training, getting back, getting to a new league, a new team, not having touches. And, and that's fine. That partnership may, may come. You know, we, we don't know yet. It's way too early to, to tell or even speculate. Um, but I agree. There was a very significant difference once Jorginho was brought on. And, I, and we all talked about it. We thought that, you know, maybe Ross would, would come on um, just to try and save Jorginho for the Zenit match um, on Tuesday. But, you know, it, it, at some point, you, you just kind of need that calming presence. And, and he definitely succeeded in, in providing that and making things um, a, a lot tamer for a very high-press Villa team in that first half that, for the most part, they, they kind of dominate what, what we like to do. So going forward then, Matt, if, you know, I, I assume that other teams are going to – read into what Villa did and try doing the same thing because it, it, it worked for 45 minutes. I just don't think they had the, the personnel to, to go the full 90 with the press. Well, let's say you're playing a Liverpool, you're playing a Man City, playing Spurs in the up, upcoming weekend. If they attack the same way Villa did, you want Jorginho out there? Or who, who would you prefer to play alongside, presumably, presumably Conte or Kova? I, I think it would it would have to it would have to be Jorginho. Um, he's he's the distributor back there, and you know we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He plays that that Cesc Fabregas role of being a distributor. He's not known for his defensive prowess or his speed, um, as far as like being able to get back and things like that. But the way that he can distribute and the way that the way that he can influence a match. I think that he definitely showed that um, against in the second half against Villa. I, I think I think he needs to be out there. I just think that you know we, we I think Saul was was brought in to kind of be the the second part of or like the backup to Jorginho, and it's just going to take him some time. Um, I, I think going up in these big matches that we have over the next you know, two or three weeks, he, he has to be out there. I, I, I would just like to see somebody else have, have that kind of impact. So it's not just solely on him. Absolutely. And just uh, real quick for reference, based off of uh, who scored.com, Jorginho, one key pass, 38 touches, 94% pass, pass accuracy. So, in 45 minutes, that's uh, that's quite the day. Well, Michael Bradley did the same thing for the men's national team, but all he did was back pass. So, <laughs> uh, you can't get a can't get a key pass on a back pass. That's fair, but I'm just saying, <laughs> pass accuracy is a little suspect when you're passing sideways and backwards. 
But anyways, I'm not comparing Virginia to Michael Bradley. We all know where I'm at. We all know where we all stand on that. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go to the second part, um, if, if, if I may, about my thoughts on Jorginho in general. Please. So we, you know, we've, we've been back and forth on this. I know where you guys are. You guys know where I'm at. Just to be clear, I think that he is a great player. Do I think he should have won the ball on door? Absolutely not. But I don't think that I don't think that's anything against him. The ball on door to me is kind of a joke. It, it's it's either been one person or the other. It's either been Ronaldo or Messi, and then you kind of slide in Luka Modric for one year, and it's like really that that's who it was. And he beat out, I think that year he beat out Lewandowski, who had. 50-plus goals in the season, which to me does not make sense. But, again, I, I have different views on the ball and door and what that actually means. Did he win it? Yes. Did he deserve to? You can make the argument based on the success of Chelsea winning the Champions League and also um, you know, the Euros for, for Italy. You can definitely make that argument. Um I, I like to see, and this this I think just boils down to just kind of what I like to see from a midfielder having, you know, been around the era of like Frank Lampard and you know seeing him and how he does his thing. Uh, to me, I like the defensive side of of a midfielder, and I don't necessarily know that he has that. Um, obviously, comparing to Frank is is in a world all of its own. Um, but I just like seeing a full-blown box-to-box midfielder that can also defend and has some pace, which is why I've been such a big fan of Kova basically ever since he came to Chelsea. Um, I like the way he plays. I like the way that he can play both sides of the ball. I like the fact that he's a little bit more of a physical midfielder where Jorginho is more of a technician. Um in, in that regard, I, I just I've seen a lot of times where, you know, somebody gets past Jorginho and then Jorginho kind of starts trotting and hoping that center backs will pick up and kind of kind of take care of it for him or he'll throw out like a lazy leg and things like that. That to me, I'm not a big fan of, which is probably why I'm a lot more critical than, than both of you are. But that that's just my whole thing. I, I prefer two full-blown box-to-box midfielders, but at the same time, the things that he can do, the things that he provides to the team, you, you can't you can't ask for, for more than that. And I, I think that what he does in his role right now is imperative to Chelsea's success. So I don't believe the Ballon d'Or has been awarded as of yet. Um, I'm trying to find the date as to when that, that's going to be um, but it should be interesting. I, I, I believe it's going to be down to Messi, Jorginho, maybe Holland, Mbappe. So it, it should be interesting to watch, and uh, you know we'll make sure to rub it in your face when Jorginho wins. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know what the difference is. He won UEFA Player of the Year. I don't really know what what the difference between the Ballon d'Or is versus that, but uh, apparently there is one. 
And in, in, in which case, if we're talking about UEFA Player of the Year, I think that should have been Conte over Jorginho. Conte, who won Midfielder of the Year, which that baffles me in its own right, right? How can uh, how can two dudes who play the same position, one wins Midfielder of the Year, the other one's Player of the Year, unless you can't win them both, I don't know, but well, makes no sense like, to me. <laughs> well, it, it, was like, it was like the UEFA Team of the Year when Liverpool won. I think only one person from Liverpool was on that team, and the rest was either Barcelona or Real Madrid. It's like, how, how does that fully make sense? And I think... I forgot who it was, but one didn't somebody get knocked out in the quarters? Wasn't that the year Barcelona got knocked out in the quarters? Like, how does that really make sense? So I, I think there's a lot of other things driving that, um, which obviously everything with FIFA, UEFA, all that stuff. Who knows? Um, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of look at that as kind of a joke. It's more of like a publicity thing than it is like kind of an actual honor it's just like oh yeah you play for this team so yeah we're just gonna throw you in that's kind of how i've looked at it for for a number of years that's a fair point (laughs) (laughs) so speaking of uh those who are going to be eligible for the blown door luca cool how do we how do we rate his performance boy his his performance i thought was great um, yeah, the commentators kind of noted that they didn't really say his name much, but, uh, when they did, it was usually followed by goal and, and uh, he took both chances super well. Uh, that first one, the, the ball from Kovacic was uh, just a dime and, and he took it great. You know, he cut over, got it on his right foot and just put it past. And, and the second goal was just, it was an amazing play. I actually saw a clip posted to Twitter today that was about, a minute and a half of Chelsea working out of the press, uh, which led to us breaking it and, and as Pelicueta down the side, uh, nutmegs and then crosses over to, to, to Rom and, and he just puts it away. Uh, he puts balls on target. Uh, I said before, they're not all going to be the flashiest goals, uh, but he's going to get in the right spot. He's going to be a threat and he's going to put balls in the back of the net. And I thought he did a great job. Uh, he's going to be a menace, man. I love it. Matt, what says what says you? So, I, I honestly, I think that had some of the balls that got played into Rom that were not successful, he could have put up five goals himself. Like I think there were so many missed opportunities, balls just just barely getting deflected, just barely getting touched, like or just not the right weight on the pass. There were so many. I think he could have easily had five. Like his the runs that he makes are so smart and sophisticated that he he's always on side. He's always on side. He's always in the right spot. He knows what the defense is doing. He is such a smart player, which I don't think he gets enough credit for. You know, I I, I watched him a little bit in in Europa. Uh, when they were playing, and he was just bodying people, but he was so smart in the way that he did it. Like, he would just roll people off his shoulder in both directions, and he would just have the composure just to finish off any ball. And uh, I, I kind of want to bring this up. This might be a, a future pod question, but, um, like, 
the way that he's developed since he left Chelsea. Like, obviously, he went to Everton. He had some success there. Then he went to Man U. He started to show a little bit more. I think going to Inter and working with Conte, I think that brought out the best version of him. And now we're seeing him be able to deploy everything that he learned against a league that kind of wrote him off. Um, and now he's just coming back and he has a chip on his shoulder. Like he wants to go out and he wants to prove like, I'm still one of the best strikers in the world. Like all this hype that I had when I was a kid and everything else, like, yeah, I left the premier league. I went to Italy. He wants to come back with a vengeance and just show that he is a legitimate threat and he can do everything that everybody thought he could do when he was, when he was a youngster. And when I was listening to, to the broadcast, he is, and I think it was Arlo made a great point. He said he is, the, he is like the personification of efficiency. Like very rarely does he miss or not put a shot on target. He is very efficient in everything that he does. He does everything with a purpose. And I think that is a, that is a whole new side of him that, that teams are not ready for yet. And I, I, I only see positives coming from who he is now as a player. Yeah. And what you got, what you got Collins? Matt just touched on it right there is he's efficient. When, when was the last time we've had a striker who was efficient? Timo? No. Uh, Murata? Maybe when he was on side, but that was few and far in between. I think you go back to Drogba. You go back to Drogba. You go back to Diego Costa. Maybe Nicholas Anelka. But outside of that, through the first three matches, Lukaku has to be the, the most clinical of all of them. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking right now through through his career stats. Everywhere he's been, it's been about 50% of his matches he scores a goal. Uh, at Inter, it was 47 in 72 matches. Everton, 53 and 110. Uh, when he was here, he went out on loan for West Brom, scored 17 goals. Went on loan to Everton, scored 15 goals. And then you look for the Belgian national team. Man, 67 goals in 100 matches? But the guy is one of the one of the greats at the position, at least in the current age. But because of you know the Messis, the Ronaldos, the Hollands, uh, and because he played in Italy, I, I think he goes a little underrated. And I, I think the league should now be on notice two shots two goals fantastic weekend uh god i hope timo Werner never plays again if if lukaku can play (laughs) (laughs) if he can only play every match that you know for the rest of the year that'd be wonderful exactly put put him in 50 50 60 matches he'll be fine One thing that one thing that upset me a little bit was uh, he had a quote this this week that said, don't compare me to Ronaldo. I I heard it twice on the broadcast. You know, anything Ronaldo can do, Lukaku can do as well. And two for him, two for whatever. Eh, I I, I don't love it. I I don't love the comparisons. I think they're two completely different players. I know they were both the big name signings. I know you're going to get some of that. But Lukaku is a completely different person. He's a completely different player. And uh, obviously, uh, Ronaldo's a, a massive addition to the Premier League, and people are going to talk about him. But uh, 
personally, I, I, I'll take I'll take Romelu Lukaku any day of the week, and uh, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be great for us. Wait, did Ronaldo sign with Manchester United? I feel like I haven't seen it in the news every single day for three weeks. No way. <laughs> so uh, my, my last point on the game uh, that I wanted to bring up was Edward Mendy. Boy, that's that was a special performance. And we, we talked about underrated. This guy doesn't get enough credit. I mean, Matt mentioned earlier the, the double save. Just the the amount of strength to get back up for that second one. And then it came off speed and to readjust to it. it that was, I know we're only a month into the season. That, that was my moment of the season right there. That was, that was such great goalkeeping. And the fact that he has beaten out the world's most expensive goalkeeper, justified or not, it, it, Edward Mendy should be in the same class as Ederson, as Allison, um, as De Gea. But I, 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 feel, I personally feel that he's not. I don't think he gets the, the hype. Uh, what do you guys think about Mendy's performance? Parks, go ahead. I thought it was phenomenal. I mean, there's not much more I can say that hasn't been said already. I thought he played great. I think he's coming into confidence. Uh, I think his defenders trust him. I think he trusts his defenders. Um, Collins, man, I, I remember talking to you last year. And and you called him the the signing of the Premier League last year when Chelsea got him. Uh, defense hasn't always been our strong suit. We put up a quote defensive masterclass against Liverpool, and and Edward Mendy is a is a massive part of the complete rebuild and overhaul of what has been uh, a leaky defense at best over the past two three years uh, to being. I just I, I every time I see him play and I watch these matches, I think like in other years, two of those balls go in and then maybe we lose that match because we go down one nothing or we go down two nothing or something like something weird, quirky happens uh, in the Premier League because it always does. Right. Uh, one of those balls squirts in off of a header and, and we go down and we can kick ourselves and we can dominate possession, but we lose those games a lot of the time. And. And when you watch it from the other side of the coin where we win this game three, nothing, it's such a huge difference. And, and you look at the little things that, that contribute to the big piece of the puzzle, which is our defense has improved a ton. And, and Edward Mendy is 70% of that tip for me. He is a huge, massive chunk of that. And he played incredible. So one thing I'll add on that and- Something I noticed watching the Euros, and it's something that's been shown for a long time, the way that the Italian team celebrates like a defensive stop, it, like they, they celebrate like they just scored a goal. And that was one of the things that I picked up on, that Mendy, Rudy, Thiago Silva, Chalaba, like they were, they were celebrating, not to the extent that the Italian national does but they were celebrating they were hyping each other up like they were excited when there was a, a good block or even if somebody cleared the ball like they were excited about that I think that's a little nuance that speaks a huge that, that speaks a huge part to what what Tuchel's doing as well as how much that team trusts each other because you when was the last time you ever saw that especially with Chelsea 
maybe when John Terry was around, maybe. But now it's like it's starting to become common where they're happy, they trust each other, they're celebrating those small things. Even if somebody goes down and it gets knocked out for a corner, they're they're okay with that. They're like, hey, thanks, whatever. Like, they're excited about that. I think that is a big switch in how we and how Chelsea have been defensively for the last probably five years. That like that's a big change. And again, it's something small, but I think it speaks volumes to where this team was, especially with Frank, versus where they are now under Tuchel. Like it, it's me day. There's so much trust, so much faith, so much confidence in one another. I, I think that we we do have one of the best defenses in in the world right now. So M- Mendy has been with the club, right? if you remember, last summer transfer window. He came in pretty late in the window. Um, so he didn't play a full season technically last year. Uh, he's now made 35 appearances for the club. Let me blow your mind here. Goals conceded in those 35 games, 26. How many of those were against Brighton? Five, seven, Five. Five. <laughs> Five goals in that match. 19 clean sheets. Chelsea have won 20 of his 35 appearances in the Premier League. Well, he, he had a streak last year. As soon as he started, he went on a streak of what, like seven or eight clean sheets in a row? Yep. Like, it, like he, he can play. He's, he's a world-class keeper. And honestly, I'm glad he's under the radar, so that nobody tries and take, so that nobody can try and take him from us. Um, they, they can have Kepa, like by all means, we can maybe get Willie Caballero back. But like, I, I honestly, Mendy for what we paid for him and the value added, it, it's it, Collins. What you said, it, it probably was was the signing. The, the most unheard signing around the world. And it, it's paying so many dividends right now. And I, I couldn't be happier that he's, he's between the posts for us. God, he looks good in green. Yeah, I love absolutely. it. I love the, I love the all green look for him. Man, it, it just, it pops. It's good stuff. Uh, and as a side note here, 22 million pounds is what we paid for him. Jeez. A, a, a third of Kappa. Roughly, it was in the uh, 70s, 78, 76, something like that. <laughs> well, good, good, uh, good work by Marina, as always. Well, <laughs> different issue. <laughs> well, boys, I think we uh, we pretty thoroughly covered the Villa match. Uh, should we look ahead? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we've got two matches on the week. Uh, first. Champions League tie at home against Zenit St. Petersburg out of the Russian Premier League. And then uh, to close out the week, Spurs at, uh, well, it's not White Hart Lane, but what's their new stadium called? Tottenham Stadium or something like that. Yeah, of course, they don't have a name for it. Oh, so Spursy. All right. Uh, so where, where would you guys like to start? Let's, let's, uh, let's go with Zenit. Let's let's kind of analyze that. So the uh, I'll I'll start because the one thing that I realize is that we don't have we don't have any travel. We we played our game at home, if I remember correctly, right? We mm-hmm. we played at home 
and then we have another game at home on Tuesday. So there's no travel for us. Zenit has come all the way here. I think that alone is massive. Um, you know, we don't have the we don't have to worry about you know obviously like I said we don't have to worry about that travel anything like that and you know we're we have a very a very good crowd. Um, the I think the biggest thing for me is how we line up. Like, do we prep more for the Champions League to defend the title, or do we prep more to try and stay ahead in the Premier League? That's kind of my, my biggest thing. Is I'm not sure how we how we address that. Granted, we have the firepower to do more than most teams, but still, I'm kind of curious about that. Well, yeah, I mean, sorry, Parker, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say with this match being on Tuesday, I think I think whoever didn't start or some of our main starters who didn't play um, on Saturday will get the nod, like Andreas Christensen, Mason Mount, um, and others. Uh, Chilwell, but uh, Reese James. Uh, but then then you have a little bit of a break until until the weekend. So uh, I, I think those guys will get the nod. I, I, I think it's important to get three points in the first match, but I, I don't see us having a too hard of a time qualifying through this group. So uh, it'll also be a, a decent time to to get reps for guys who don't always get reps. So I don't think we have to play our absolute A squad against Zenit on Tuesday. So that's just my kind of two cents on it. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Um, looking through through Zenit's roster, they you know they've got some some interesting pieces, uh, but it's it definitely looks like a third place team in the pool. Um, you know, in defense, they've got fan favorite Dehan Lovren. Uh, let's see, uh, they just signed. Uh, uh, Claudinho um, from one of the Red Bulls down in, in Brazil. He was their big signing of the summer. Uh, then they've also got former uh, Barcelona castaway, Malcolm. So, so some interesting pieces, but I again, like you said, I don't think it's something where we need to throw our A squad at them. Do you, do you guys want to pr- predict a lineup or uh, should we move on to Spurs? I say we move on to Spurs, and we'll uh, we can submit uh, official lineups pre-match uh, on our on our Twitter that that Andy so lovely runs for us. So we can we can tease our Twitter at Flag Down Pod if you want to see our official predictions for for the Zenit match in there. And another shameless plug: we now have Instagram and Facebook. Everything is at Flag Down Pod. So you know, follow. Shoot a message, well, you know, whatever you need to do. But uh, you know, absolutely go follow us on one of those platforms. Absolutely. Uh, but then I think it takes us to the bigger match, which is which is uh, at Spurs, at not White Hart Lane. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I watched I watched a lot of the the Spurs game this weekend. Um, I didn't think they looked too terribly great, uh, but it still is a North London derby, and I think it's going to be a, a very interesting game. So. Curious, uh, curious how you boys think we, we line up and how we attack uh, the Spurs uh, this coming Saturday. Well, I I think you know like, like we mentioned, it's going to be kind of a B B plus squad against Zenit. Uh, so I think you're going to see a lot of the same faces that you saw against Villa uh, against Spurs. Absolutely, Mendy at the back. I think Kepa plays midweek to get a break, uh, but Reese James will be back. 
Uh, I think Alonzo will probably be on that other wing. Uh, the defense will probably be some combination of Rudy, Tiago Silva, Christensen. I don't think Saul comes back uh, this week. I think Kova maintains his spot just because he had another fantastic round. But uh, I'm going to go Kova and Jorginho in the middle. Uh, Ziek, Kai, and Lukaku up top. Yeah, I think uh, I'm kind of in agreement with you boys. Um, I think Zenit is, you know, uh, I, I will make, uh, I will pull a hot take. I think we see Ross against Zenit. Um, I, I think he gets a, he gets a pride out there, especially with, um, you know, Jorginho, Kova, maybe getting a, a little bit of a break. They'll, they'll probably be on the bench, but I think you, you start somebody who's more experienced, um, kind of in that midfield, and I think I think Ross would be a would be a good candidate to just kind of kind of fill that role and give him give him a bit of a break. Um, I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Saul against Zenit. Um, I, I think, kind of as we've alluded to, you know, the more reps you give him, the better he's going to be. And it's not like Champions League football is new to him. Uh, obviously, he played with Atletico for for a, a few years, and he started a lot of those matches. He started for Atletico a few matches this season before the transfer deadline. He's used to that competition. Um, I, I I wouldn't be surprised to see him in that environment. Um, so I, I I I will go out on a limb and say I I could see, you know, Roth, Saul, and. You know, I don't. I'm not 100% up to speed on what the on what the status is with uh, Angola Conte, but you know, if you can run somebody in like that, or if you you know split time between Kova and and Jorginho, something like that, like I, I think that's a good match to to get them some reps. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Chills on the left back. Um, maybe have have somebody like. Um, like Dave on the right for most of it, maybe throw Callum Hudson Adoyan at like the 70th minute, something like that. Um, I think this game is going to be more about saving legs for, for Tottenham than it will be about, um, you know, putting in, putting in a, 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 a healthy shift against Zen. So who, uh, who would you play in the midfield uh, against Spurs on, uh, on the weekend? Um, if, if we have N'Golo Conte, you need him in the field. Um, like he has to be there. And I think if he's not, then obviously you, you play Kova and Jorginho. I think, I think Jorginho has to be, like I said, I think he has to be there. Um, whatever happens with the fitness with Conte, um, that's going to be kind of determined. Maybe you run Kova for 70 minutes and then you bring uh, and go Conte, and if he's somewhat fit, and just give him give him a little bit of a little bit of time out there. But I, I would say, if Angola Conte is not fit, you're going to run Jorginho and Kova. Uh, Parker, how, how do you feel about the weekend match? Yeah, uh, uh, sticking with the midfield, I think I think Kovacic is is starting for sure. I think if Conte's fit. He plays alongside of him. If he's not, then it's Jorginho. 
The only thing I worry about for Kova would be load management and, and making sure he gets a break in there somewhere. But uh, uh, aside from that, I think he's he, – you have to play him on Saturday. So I think he's in for sure. Uh, I think at the back, um, Marcus Alonso and Reese James as your wingbacks. Um, I like to see Dave play in the central mid with Silva and Rudy. Um, and then I think Mount plays. Uh, I think Kai Havertz plays, and I think Romelu Lukaku. So, boys, we think that's our, our solidified three up top now is uh, Kai, Mace, and uh, Big Ron. Yeah, I, I think it kind of has to be. Um, you know, Kai is going to be more of kind of a big body that can, that can help create, but Mount is going to be the one that, that, that's going to take people on and kind of clear things out for Rom and Kyle to do their thing. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of creativity on this team, and I think Mount is, and don't don't get at me for saying this, he is that presence that Aiden Hazard was where he's, he's going to be a focus once he starts pushing the ball forward with purpose. When he starts trying to take players one-on-one, the defense is going to shift towards him because they know that he's going to be able to start to create a lot of things. I'm not saying that he's on his level, not even close yet, but from the Aiden Hazard that we saw at Chelsea, I think he's starting to command a little bit of, of that same attention whenever he starts pressing the ball forward. And I think that's going to open up a lot of things, um, especially if, if Kova's in there and he's charging forward, leave Jorginho back. Um, you know, he, he's going to open up a lot of things. So I, I, I think you need, you need Mount, you need Kai, and you need Rom um, up top kind of your head. I think it's the best three we've got up top. I think it's a pretty easy decision, even with Pulisic out uh, with injury. I think he doesn't crack it yet, even though I would love to see it. But uh, I think that's our best, best three up top right now. Okay, so going into the match, uh, Spurs currently three wins uh, and four tries. Uh, they won their first three matches by a combined score of 3-0 and then dropped 3-0 to Palace over the weekend uh, to Connor Gallagher in Palace. So uh, nine points from four matches, zero goal differential. How, how do we think we finish on, uh, on the weekend? A uh, quick question. Um... Spurs did get a red card, I believe, in that match. Uh, so I, I, I can't recall. Does anyone remember? I don't offhand. No, neither do I. Uh, it just might be a factor. I know one of their starters got sent off uh, in the match. So uh might, might impact their lineup as well. Um, and just off the, the top of my head from when I was looking midweek, uh, or excuse me, over the weekend, uh, Harry Kane does not have a goal this year. That sound right? <laughs> it sounds it sounds correct. It sounds very Spursy, so I, I tend to <laughs> So how many goals does Harry Kane score against Chelsea this weekend is the question. <laughs> I, I I think let's put it this way, I think if he does score a goal, it's off a penalty. I I think that's really the only way that he's going to be able to kind of plow through that defense, especially with, you know, with kind of, if we're bringing out all the big guns against Tottenham, 
know, trying to break that down, that's going to be tough, you know, especially if he's going to be operating around Rudy. Like, that, that's a tough ask for any striker to go up against Rudiger. Um, I, I think the only way that he scores is off the penalty or some random off the post that lands in his lap, some sort of like kind of crazy – some sort of crazy misdirection or something like that. Like, I, I don't think he scores a, like a clean goal. Let's put it that way. Collins, how do you see this thing shaking out? What, what's your score prediction? I don't think Spurs scores a goal. I don't think we score a goal. I'm going nil-nil draw. Our defense is too tight. It's, it's too solid as a unit right now. Uh, offense has been hit or miss. Um, you know, with that that front three, I think we get our chances, but I, I don't see us scoring in this one. I mean, I go zero zero. Parker, uh, I had it one one. Uh, I also think we we draw here. It's a London clash, uh, and I think you know Tottenham's going to be a little bit pissed off to to lose three nothing to a Crystal Palace. Uh, I did just look it up quick. It was Tangenga who had uh, back-to-back yellow cards and got sent off. So they will be without him uh, for the match. But I think it's going to be a hard-fought match both ways. And you know, I, I think we do get on the score sheet, but I, I could also see us conceding relatively late and, and, it, and it ends one nothing or 1-1, excuse me. Yeah, I, 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 I see it. I see it going a lot of different ways. Um, I think that I think that it ends up being one nil Chelsea, and I think it ends up being like anything after the seventy fifth minute for a goal. I think both teams go through the process of feeling each other out. Um, a couple of yellows in the first half just on aggressive challenges, um, but I. I see a couple half chances happening for both, but I think I see one team making a mistake and uh, I, I see Chelsea capitalizing on it just based on the fact that, you know, we've alluded to this earlier, Lukaku's efficiency, his work rate. Um, I, I see it being a, a, a late minute, a late minute winner for Chelsea one nil. All right, and then just to clear, clear up all loose ends here, we all see Chelsea winning on uh, on Tuesday against Zenit, right? I do. Yep. All right, perfect. So, uh, myself and Parker have Chelsea with four points on the week. Matt with six. I, I, I'd take either one of those, to be honest. So, so here would be my question: Which one's more important to you, midweek or Tottenham? Are, are we are we more are we more are we putting more eggs in the basket for wanting the Zenit match or the Tottenham match? I think in a vacuum, I would be I would put more on Europe just because it is the bigger competition. But that being said, as we've seen over the last few years, you can certainly limp into uh, into the knockout stage and not go very deep in it. Um, I think it's a good chance. I would say Europe's a good chance to to get the youth 
uh, involved. I, I put all my bags in all all my eggs in the Spurs basket. Yeah, the clash, uh, the the clash of London in the Premier League, and we're getting a lot of these uh, big matches away out of the way um, early in the season. I think it's another important one to take, and uh, I. I, I'm. I would be much happier if we win at Tottenham and lose to Zenit, than vice versa. Matthew. Yeah. Um. I. I. I think. I think right now, we we put more. I I, I would be happier winning against Tottenham. Um. Just because kind of, you know, we, we just talked about it. It's it's the group stage, right? You know, you got to play everybody twice. You got you have time to make up points. It's the first match. You have time to make up points. You don't know what the other teams are going to do against each other, so you, you definitely have a little bit more room. I think with things in the Premier League, with how they're shaking out and everybody still relatively close, unless you're Arsenal, um, you know, it, it, it it's still pretty close. So you can definitely make your move early and kind of try and build that cushion or at least stay, you know, close within that top two or three from the onset and, and kind of keep that up throughout the, throughout the course of the season and put more pressure on, on teams that may be above or below us. And I think that can play a big factor. Um, so I, I would be happier with the, with the win over Tottenham than I would with a win um, against Zenit. And that was your weekly shit on Arsenal moment. If any sponsors want to reach out and, and guarantee that we shit on Arsenal every single week, uh, reach out to us at Flight Down Pod. Uh, but we will bring it up either way. Uh, I guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it was an intriguing match having, uh, having 19 versus 20 with uh, Norwich and Arsenal. It was a very intriguing match that they just barely squeaked out one nothing. How many shots did Arsenal have? <laughs> 30. One. <laughs> Literally 30 shots in that match for oh, Arsenal. Boy. Just the fans who were forced to watch the Arsenal. That's, Arsenal fan TV is the only good thing about that club. <laughs> All right. With that being said, this is a Chelsea podcast. So... <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to keep our, our, our Arsenal talk to, to a minimum here. Uh, but we are pushing that hour mark, boys. Uh, so, you know, I think it's, uh, it's time we let, let the people go, let, give their ears a break, and, uh, you know, we can, we can recon, reconvene at the, at the end of the week. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Good catching up with you, boys. Take care. Sounds good. Take care, boys. Absolutely. And, again, you can follow us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at FlagDownPod. Thanks, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. See you. Bye. Bye.